Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John and on this, the fourth of our Testimonial Week podcast, I'm going to be playing you the best bits of the last 10 seasons of us podcasting about Watford Football Club. There are many ups, there are definitely some downs and uh, that's the best thing about being a podcaster about the glory Hornet boys. Let's start though at the start. This first clip is from our first ever episode. It was the beginning of our long journey that has taken us to where we are now. Hello fellow Hornets and welcome to the first From the Rookery End podcast. In this end of season awards special, you'll hear who scored the other goal of the season, which Watford player has been likened to Whitney Houston. You'll also learn who you can blame if the Ralph stand looks a little bit wonky. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now officially part of Watford Football Club history. Welcome to the first ever podcast from the Rookery End. What a lovely, wonderful noise that was. Welcome to From the Rookery End. This is a podcast made for Watford fans by Watford fans. I'm John, and with me is Jason. Hello. And Mike. Hello. Uh, we're all lifelong Watford fans and season ticket holders in the Rookery End. We'll be doing these monthly podcasts where we'll chat about everything and anything to do with Watford Football Club. In this podcast, we'll be looking back at the 2009-2010 season and awarding the From the Rookery End Awards. You'll hear interviews with Danny Graham and Henry Lansbury. Plus, we'll be looking forward to another season of Championship Football. Oh, how nervous, excited and only ever so slightly younger we sounded in that clip. But this podcast has been mainly Jason... Mike and myself talking after games and around games and in pubs and at grounds and all over the country about what's happened under the, well, many, many managers and many, many footballers that we've seen play for Watford FC. We've had some amazing days and some amazing moments. But of the three of us, Mike has always been known as being Mr. Negativity. And he certainly has a shining, he certainly shines when things don't go particularly well for the Hornets. And Mike can get quite worked up at a game if things aren't going very well. At the FA Cup semi-final in 2016, Watford were losing and were going to lose that game. And Mike left Wembley a couple of minutes early in quite a rage. I followed him with a microphone and this is what he sounded like. So... Michael, I didn't speak to you through the game. No. Nope. Because you're not the best person to speak to through a nope. game of football. No, no, it, I found that very difficult. Uh, really disappointed. Um, yeah, I thought I will preface this by saying I think Crystal Palace deserved the win. I think they were better than us uh, from start to finish. Uh, they, were, they pressed us very, uh, very hard. They didn't let us have the ball uh, and exposed us um, as, as being very, very one dimensional. Deserved the win. Congratulations to them. But absolutely gutted with the, with the performance from Watford. Yeah, what I don't want to do at this point is to sit here and go, well, just think about where we were, think about how we achieved, look at us in the semi-final, we're finishing the Premier Definitely League. Not. I want, and I, but I don't know what else to say. Well, this was, a, this, was a, this was a one-off game, which is why I'm really deeply disappointed with it, because nothing mattered other than this. You can go for it in this game, you can give it, give it all you've got, and if you lose 3-0 because your game plan didn't come off, well, well so be it. But just to go out with... Um, with a whimper, and again, you know, I keep prefacing things. I'm still covering my own, <laughs> covering my own backside, aren't I? But <clears throat> obviously, Kike came up with a plan that he thought would work. But what did we have? Two shots on target yeah. in an FA Cup semi-final. It's hugely disappointing. Hugely disappointing. We looked ponderous. We looked, we looked slow. We looked lethargic. Um, how's, how's that different from what has been the last two months? I yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right to say that. But what I would say is that this is a different game. Because look where we're at, we're stood, we're stood in the shadow of Wembley Stadium. As we look past, there's, uh, you know, 75, 80,000 people walking past us. 71,110. All right, lucky people. About 30, <laughs> 33,000 of those will remember it and the, and the rest of us won't. But this, this is a one-off game. It's an FA Cup semi-final. Um, and, you know, let's be honest, Kike has mentioned this game before. He said, perhaps we've lost a little bit of focus because of this game. And then that's, that's what we got. Uh, and for me, that was worse than the that was the worst than the playoff final. I feel worse now than I do after the playoff uh, playoff final in two thousand and thirteen. Was it? 
Why do you think? Because I remember I, my my feeling at the end of that that you know I think, I'm sure there's a podcast that we did after that where we kind of went we we stayed and we watched Palace mm-hmm. lift that trophy mm-hmm. and we just sort of like for completion for us and we sort of felt we 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 could be back here again. There was a feeling we could be back here again. What I felt, or at I, least know that we will be pushing for promotion again. That game was to get promotion to the Premier League, and I felt that Watford were, were destined for the Premier League, and I was confident walking away from that game that fair enough. Something, sometime the dice don't fall in your favour. Things just don't happen for you. It doesn't work. It didn't happen that day. We didn't get promoted. But I knew, I was confident that Watford was being set up in a way that we'd have at least have a decent tilt at going up again. And we were proved right. It, did, it didn't work out the year after, but we, we nailed it last year and we've done well in the Premier League. Let's not, this, this doesn't need to detract from the Premier League season. No. We stayed in the Premier League, which was our objective, which is something that come the end of the season, we all need to raise a glass to and look forward to Premier League football at Vicarage Road uh, next season. But this is different. This is the FA Cup. Um, and, and this was a chance. This was an opportunity for Watford Football Club, our team, to go out there and just go and give it a give it a go and maybe maybe just maybe deliver something that we will remember not just for staying in the Premier League not just for for next year or the year after forever history book time history book time and for whatever reason I haven't had a chance to dissect it we're talking two minutes after the final whistle but but that performance was it just felt to me very poor. It's been a long day. <laughs> I, I will admit I'm feeling a little bit emotional. I certainly won't be getting behind the wheel of a car anytime soon. <laughs> but it felt to me that was a, a, a poor performance, not befitting uh, of, of an FA Cup semi-final. And, and I feel sad. And the best thing about doing this podcast is the therapy. Basically, it's therapy doing this podcast after a game like that. So the therapeutic side of it after Watford lose and talking to each other helps us and our loved ones on so many levels. But oh my, it's always good to share a very joyous game. When Watford went away to Arsenal at the end of January in 2017, Walter Mazzari was in charge and we had lost, humiliated in fact, away at Millwall. We went to the Emirates, and this next clip is us before, during the game, and at half-time. And it really shows how a fan of Watford FC's mood can change ever so quickly. Mike, what was it that was disappointing then? Well, you say, I mean, Watford have only played the same team twice. So starting with a, with a, with a changed team is nothing new for this, for this Watford side. What was wrong with it? Well, y- you tell me. It was flat, it was listless, it was without purpose. It was just uh, it was flat. There was just nothing happening. And these were players who were on the, on the fringes, potentially, were still in the transfer window at that stage, potentially paying, playing for their Watford careers. Or at least sort of trying to get their, play their way into to Matsari's plans. And to get a performance like that against, all right, Millwall are doing okay, but they are two divisions below us. You look at that side that was named, it was decent. It was decent enough to win that game if they performed to their full potential. Not a single one of them put in a, uh, a performance that was worthy of the, uh, well, of the name performance, really. It was, it was dismal, it was directionless. Um, and as Dave says, he was absolutely right. It was embarrassing. The bit uh, that really sort of uh, hit home, I think, with Watford fans was hearing on TalkSport um, from uh, the goal scorer, Steve Morrison, uh, from Millwall, um, about his opinion of the Watford players. And uh, thanks to TalkSport, uh, this, is, this is what he said. All these players that played yesterday, apparently, are the ones that, if anyone gets injured in their starting eleven, are the players are supposed to step up and do a job in the Premier League. But... Um, they didn't show up yesterday. Well, but, um, the old manager was having the whinge there, manager saying they're more like wrestlers and footballers. It wasn't that physical, was it, the game? Nah, to be honest, I've, I've never heard a bunch of players moan so much in all my life. <laughs> and, uh, really? It wasn't, there wasn't even anything going on, really. And uh, yeah, It was just the normal stuff that goes on on a football pitch, and yeah. uh, they didn't want it. And um, it showed because uh, we walked away with the victories. You probably, after the game on Sunday, were like, oh, God, I'm not even going to bother coming tonight. Why should I bother coming tonight? It's going to be terrible. We're going to lose 5-0. What's the point? What? How are you feeling now, though, as we head towards the Emirates? What for the plane? So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I'll never get to the stage. Where were you? Like, were you like that on Sunday? No, I was absolutely mortified. Of course I was. And the clip we just played from Steve Morrison was the probably one of the most upsetting things to hear from from a, from a supporter's point of view I've ever heard. And yeah, all right. I think he was probably being a bit bit cheeky. He was twisting the knife in a little bit. He was using his, his moment in the spotlight to make sure that uh, make sure that everyone sort of talked about him for an extra 24 hours. I think, but. 
<coughs> yeah, it was mortifying to hear it, mortifying to hear it, but what for the playing again? And that's, you know, that's what being a football sport is all about. You get up and you go again and you, and you cheer them on. But what you'd, like to, what you'd like to think is that that's been an uncomfortable 48 hours in the Watford camp. Some of them have, have, have taken the sort of mantle up, they've taken, the, uh, they've taken responsibility, got their heads together and taken a long, hard look at themselves because performances like that cannot continue. And I think it's because of the fact going out of the FA Cup is one thing, going out of the FA Cup to a lower team is another. But doing it on the back of a host of other poor performances is what's got everyone's hackles up, I think. Was that you, this Kimball, Michael? Apparently so. Um, yeah, he's just rifled it in from what looks like about 400 yards. <laughs> Might have taken a sneaky little deflection on the way, but we won't let that ruin it. What a sight. We just watched it on the big screen. Yeah, massive deflection. Perfect. <laughs> We've got Kimball. Eunice Kimball. I just got... Okay, Michael, how long were you playing? Uh, how long were we playing? <laughs> uh, 15. Ten minutes. It's Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal nil for two. And quite frankly, we've come out of the traps absolutely flying. They've done everything we asked them to do so far. Arsenal haven't really enjoyed it very much. And uh, well, for the only team in it so far. Uh, looking forward to it being five-two to Arsenal, obviously. But <laughs> unbelievable, great stuff from Watford so far, and a deserved lead. Superb. Okay, right, so half time, um, Watford are 2 0 up here at Arsenal. And, and Mike, what I could have done, what I could do after this podcast is. I could delete what we did before the game, how bad it was on Sunday, how terrible it was on Sunday, how it's one of the worst performances we've seen, because this has been a complete turnaround. Well, on the walk here, we said we wanted a reaction. You asked what a good performance would look like, and I think that 45 minutes is exactly what a good performance would, would, look, would look like. They came out and they set the tempo. They didn't look worried, they didn't look nervous. They just set about doing a decent job, getting the ball forward, generating a bit of momentum. Everything they haven't done for the last two months, everything we complained about on the walk here, as they turned it around. Uh, Doyama looked superb. Niang down the left, they look like they've, they've, hit, they've, they've got a good understanding already. And there's just a bit of confidence. They're zipping the ball around. They're asking questions of the opposition, regardless of who it is. Um, they're just doing a much, much better job. Um, and they're looking great out there. A superb first half of football from Watford. Let's, say, let's call it what it is. Always believe in your soul. You got the power to know you're indestructible. Always believe in You're listening to From the Rookery End. I thought I'd also throw in a couple of the older jingles because we don't get to use them anymore. There's a couple of classics coming up. Uh, well, classics for those of you who listen to the podcast for uh, a few years at least. We talk about the games, we share our experience, but also we like to find out about our club. We like to find out maybe a little bit more than most people do. And the club have allowed us to speak to some very important people. We spoke to the first chief executive during our time, Julian Winter, but also during the second season under the Potsos, we met up with Scott Duxbury, now chairman and CEO, just CEO back then, of Watford Football Club. And at that meeting, we asked him about how important it was and why did he want Watford to go to the Premier League? The attraction of, of getting to the Premier League is huge, and you know, that's why we're able to attract players. Then, with our group structure, that you know, we have that international element. We've got Granada as, a, as, as an associate. We've got uh, Udinese as, a, as an associate. So, you know, Watford will never lose its, its individuality, but we're part of a, of a global structure. So I think even on our own right, we can attract higher quality players. And then add the law of the Premier League to it. Then, no, I, d- I don't think we'll ever struggle to. If you look at Fulham, Fulham were a very small football club in the lower divisions and they, they, they rose to the Premier League and they were an established Premier League side. Yes, the season's gone a little wrong for them, but they, they built themselves up into an established, quite glamorous Premier League football club and there's absolutely no reason why we can't do that. Was there any element of when you were going to away games certainly last year and perhaps carried on into this year any element of sort of a prickly relationship with other clubs who felt that we might have been doing something wrong or were jealous or was there any element of that at all? It was definitely an element of jealousy not that we were doing anything wrong it's just that you know what was Little or Watford doing beating us uh, but I quite like that you know, <laughs> it, 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 it really didn't didn't concern me had we have been failing and been 
bottom of the league, there wouldn't have been any concern about what we were doing. And you know, I'm sure Mr. Holloway's little rant would have uh, would have been directed elsewhere. But I, I personally really enjoyed it. So. And do you think it gives Watford that little bit of... We spoke to um, Adam Leventhal a couple of months ago, well, probably a year ago, and he said the one thing that frustrated him a little bit about Watford was they were, ne- they were never the bad guys. They were never nasty. They were always sort of good old Watford and all right, they had a bit of success, but they were always fairly cuddly. And I quite... Re- we, we reveled in it as well. And is that, is that quite helpful for us to be sort of... Less so, but perceived as the bad guys, do you think? I think it, I think it goes down... Really, to the uh, to the, the English psyche, you know, there's sort of like an aversion to success. Uh, so, if we're the bad guys, it's because we're successful. So, ultimately, I want to be promoted. So, I'll have to be the bad guy then because you know, that's what we need to do. One of the saddest things we had to deal with during this time of doing from the rookie end is the fact that Graham Taylor passed away far too early and really left a hole, I think, in many of the hearts of Watford fans. But his legacy has lived on. We know there's all the fantastic things the club are doing for the NHS. It's certainly a Graham Taylor thing to do for Watford and the community. But on one episode, and probably one of the best reactions we've had to, to something that we've done, was the opening of the sensory room in the corner of Vicarage Road, looking over the pitch just behind the Hornet shop. We met up on the day it opened with Dave Messenger, a former co-host of From the Rookery Inn, but now the supporter liaison officer at the club, and we also met the Shippy family, who, as you'll hear, have been working with football clubs across the country to open up these sensory rooms for children who are on the autistic spectrum. Dave, we're somewhere brand new, aren't we, in Vicarage Road Stadium? Can you can you tell the listeners where we are? Yeah, we're in the brand new sensory room, um, which anybody that's familiar with Vicarage Road will be able to tell you is in the northeast corner in the new development there. The sensory room's literally been open for the first time today, so we've had a couple of families in that have enjoyed the match. And the purpose of the sensory room is to give children with autism and other learning difficulties a safe and secure environment in which to watch football. At the moment, if someone was to come to a game with autism, the crowd or the noise or anything inside the stadium could trigger sensory overload for them and, and be quite painful and quite uncomfortable. The idea of this room is to give them a safe and secure place to watch the match. And we're lucky enough to be joined by uh, Pete, Kate and Nathan who have been here enjoying the game today. Pete, you're, you're Nathan's dad. If you could just ex- sort of explain how important rooms like this are and uh, and how they help help you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. This facility here today which uh, Dave and Watford have, have, have put together is, is absolutely fantastic. I tried to take Nathan to a match, uh, his first game back in 2014 um, up at Sunderland and he couldn't cope, being autistic, he couldn't couldn't cope with the noise and then he had to leave halfway through so we thought that was it he's not going to be able to go to football but through that sort of close season the summer of 2014 he, he was asking to go back we've got a bit of a problem he wants to go but he, but he can't so we came up with the idea of a sensory room got a big sort of petition and emails in at Sunderland and uh, we're pleased at the start of the last season they opened a sensory room there which, which has proven to be a great success it's for more than just Nathan it's for sort of three families that need it and it, it's been full all for last season um, and now I've got the campaign to try and get every Premier League club stadia nationwide um, in the AFL and national stadiums to, to incorporate sensory rooms as well. Watford have become the second Premier League club to do it. Um, as I say, Dave Messenger here have done an absolutely wonderful job. And it's, it's just needed because now that I can take Nathan or people like that on the autism spectrum to a, to a game and, and not have to think about it. It's, 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 a, it's a brilliant facility they've put in here. And it's the first the first time it's been used today. How did it go? Did everything go to plan? Did, and did Nathan enjoy it, most, most importantly? He certainly did. That's it. It's, it's great to see another three points of Watford as well. It's been, uh, yeah, a wonderful day. He did enjoy it and the other family that were in here as well. Absolutely perfect. You know, they would enjoy the game and they would go and play in the, the sensory room area for a little while and come back and... Uh, it's, it's gone absolutely brilliantly, absolutely perfectly. Couldn't ask for anything more. Well enough to uh, turn Nathan into a Watford supporter? Um, could do, I know there's that risk. <laughs> we're, uh, we're actually looking forward to next Saturday, obviously, in Sunderland v Watford and seeing if our brainwashing, I mean, uh, our <laughs> invitation to Nathan today is going uh, to cause Pete and Kate a couple of issues next weekend. Yellow is his favourite colour, so there is a danger that that could happen. <laughs> Excellent, the plan is unfolding. Now, Dave mentioned where we are. We're in between the, um, the Sir Elton John stand and the, and the Vicarage Road end. There's a magnificent view looking out uh, over the the pitch it really is one of the one of the best views in the house but so you've got all your all the seats there's very comfortable there's beanbags there's there's plenty of seats there's plenty of space i believe the uh, the acoustics are muffled to to keep the to keep the noise down from outside and i think there's some special uh, window film on the uh, on the glass there to make sure that it's not too bright so the view here is great but there is a there is a wall here um, resplendent with uh, with the Watford team looking uh, happy i think dapper dapper yeah absolutely dapper but if we go behind this behind this wall dave and uh, the peak can you explain 
explain what there is behind here? Yes, this is the actual sensory room part of the facility. So the the um, where we've been is obviously the viewing area for the match, which this has been bags and the other comfortable areas, as you've seen. But the purpose of the sensory room area itself is for those moments when the when the child is experiencing sensory overload. This gives them a calming facility in which to escape to, if you like. And I'm sure we'd all like to escape from the odd Watford <laughs> game over the years. But for the for the youngsters that can't handle the noise, sometimes this is great. So as you can see, we've got a bubble tube over in the corner here, which is flashing in different colours Lovely. and blowing bubbles through the mirror effect makes it look like there's three or four so again the kids enjoy playing with this we've got a fiber optic carpet we've got a fiber optic softy which is a great big essentially bean bag um, with lots and lots of fiber optic cables coming out of it which again as you can see changing colors and the glitter ball up in the corner which has a projector uh, projecting different colours on there and giving a lovely effect in the room. So the idea of the room is you have a nice calming facility in which for ch- people to for children to come to. Okay. Some people might think that if you're um, if you're experiencing experiencing sensory overload, that the colours might how do how do the colours help? Because some people might think that, that a lot of extra colour might be an extra sort of burden if you like. Yeah, it's actually the way that the colour is um, portrayed. Really, it's very slow. It's very calm, and especially with the bubble tube where the bubbles are moving around and it gently changes the colour it just brings all of that in in overstimulation completely down and you have a lovely calmness in fact I find it lovely (laughs) I don't really need them so yes I've seen how they work as well in special schools Um, it's just a tremendous facility and now it's great that we can actually bring Nathan to an away match it's the first one he's ever been to so it's absolutely fantastic it's a pleasure to have him I'm sure he's been uh, well behaved Dave how can how can families with um, with similar needs with similar issues um, make use of this place at Watford yeah obviously we'd be delighted to hear from anybody that's out there that um, feels this facility would be ideal for their youngsters Um, we're looking and particularly thinking about perhaps there's season ticket holders that don't currently bring their children because their children have these uh, difficulties um, and this would be an ideal facility for them and worse still there's probably people out there listening to the podcast that aren't coming to games at all because the youngsters can't come to the match and we'd, we'd be delighted to hear from those supporters um, there's availability for the rest of the season for it we're going to have it open for every match we're not going to do season tickets in here for the first season at least just so that we can assess the demand and see how many people there are that are interested in coming to use the facility and the easy way for people to get in touch with us is just to get in touch with me at the club on my usual email dave.messenger at watfordfc.com let me know if there's a particular game they're interested in or whether it's just a general inquiry about the sensory room and i'll be more than happy to help hi i'm ketchyanya and you're listening to from the recruian to keep it interesting and a bit creative on from the recruian we sometimes come up with some silly ideas you would have heard about where vest for danny day which we did in the first season of doing this podcast where lots of Watford fans at the final home game of the season wore vests with messages on especially for danny and all the boys who'd played so well that season. But sometimes I mainly come up with some ideas that will hopefully make it an interesting listen. And early this season, when Watford were playing away at Manchester City, none of us were going to make it. We thought, hey, let's go blackout for the entire day. Let's not look at Twitter. Let's not look at text messages. Let's not look at television. And what we'll do is we'll all sit down for match of the day and see what happens. Well, we got quite hyped about it. We thought actually something positive was going to be happening because of some little hints and tips we would have seen by accident. We were sadly wrong. And this is what happened when we pressed play on match of the day when Watford, as you know, ended up losing 8-0 away at Manchester City. Uh, So match day is about to come on. It's starting credits now. Um, We're not sure where Watford will be in the running order. I'm assuming we're not going to be first because Leicester beating Tottenham and going second seem to be the bigger one. But actually, Man City Watford has come up with the first thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that, is that the running order? The Leicester Tottenham. Leicester, Tottenham so you might Everton, be first. Yep. United. We're first on, yeah. Okay, that's really worrying me now. Bring it on. I'm really worrying now. <laughs> it could be an amazing result for the Golden Boys. Well, no, no, no. Right, let's just watch the game. Let's watch the game. I tell you, Colin, I'm more <laughs> nervous about this. Because I think I've overhyped it in my head. I'm I can't believe you managed to avoid everything. I mean, that's, that is a hell of a good job. No, what? Kicked <laughs> off. You kicked off. No, but it is. Come on, you horns. Come on. Yellows. 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 Who's that throwing their arms around already? Are they playing? They One, two, three, four. It's five at the back. Oh, gosh. Oh, for what the. How long's that? It's under 60 seconds. Ah, oh, Jesus. Fastest PL goal this season. Wonderful. Another record to add to our. Uh... Oh, God. Oh, well, there, there you go. That's that. Uh, now. Oh. All right. 
Go on, Jerry. Can we do on, Jerry. something? Come on, Jerry. Go on, Jerry. Go on, mate. Go on, go, 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 go. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Oh, gosh. God. When you play up there on your own and you get a chance like this, one-on-one with one defender, there's one against one here. Yeah. Yeah, and well, and he's done it's, in there. It's, just... it's, it's too, too many touches, uh, isn't it? If only he had someone up there with him. It was almost like a... It wasn't a... It wasn't a, an attempt at goal, was it? It was almost like a clip back across. Yeah. I think he was trying to sort of finesse it into... Do you saying, are you saying Delafoe passed it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Oh, go on. Oh, we're looking no, we all right know. again. We've had, we've had ball in the... Uh-oh. Someone get to him. That's it. Don't... Go on, Ben. There we go. Oh, uh, he's dived. He got the ball, he got the ball. Have they given it? No. Yeah. He got the ball? Yeah. He didn't get the ball. He didn't get the ball. He might. He might save this penalty. <laughs> yes, right. Okay. Come on, Benny boy. No ah, we didn't. <laughs> so, so how long are we? How far are we in? Five Two nil after seven minutes. Seven minutes. I'm not. I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed to hear that. Everyone knows Manchester. How good Manchester City are. Like I said, as we as we kicked off, you look at the side. And it is the most ludicrous collection of superb footballers that were you know arguably the Premier League has has ever seen they're an extraordinarily talented side we know that but how many teams play the way that we do or concede the amount of goals to the top three or four than we do this isn't our first rodeo and we time and time again we get rolled over by the by the top four let's call it the top four instead of the top six and we don't just come out second best we surrender I think we surrender to these sides. And to hear sort of Ben Foster sort of talking how good Manchester City are, yes, they are good. But by God, how bad were Watford? Defensively, I mean, I'll hold my hands up. All I've seen, all we've seen is what? 10 minutes on a highlight reel where they've had to cram in, unbelievably, eight goals. So we, ha- we haven't seen the, the, the pressure that Man City put on us. And undoubtedly, they would have done that. They would have been pushing us from from pillar to post, pinging balls left, right and centre. They're better than us, obviously. But how many teams lose 8-0 to Manchester City, 6-0 to Man City, 5-0 to Man City, 5-0 to Liverpool, 6-0 to Liverpool? Why does this keep happening? It's a surrender, time after time after time. And we've got people like Delefeu who will score a hat-trick against Cardiff. He'll wander through the Huddersfield defence. Why do these people go missing? Why do they go completely AWOL when there's a big game to be had? I'm absolutely sick and tired of these performances and just being brushed under the carpet by the fact that they're a magnificent team. Are we in the Premier League to compete or not? Because if we're not, if this is what we're going to do year after year, then I don't know what to say. I don't really know what's left to to happen anymore. And So if we don't come out on Tuesday night... And, sh- and show a response and beat Swansea or at least take it to extra time and pens and then do the same again next Saturday, I think we're in a hell of a lot of trouble. That was Colin, who became a big part of the team about three seasons ago. Uh, he's a m- bit more of a seasoned Watford fan than the rest of us, uh, but he was a massive part of our live commentaries, or but not really live commentaries, that we did uh, during lockdown. That's the worst bit of being a Watford fan. Hum- humiliated to the entire nation, uh, especially on Match of the Day. And that was probably one of the lowest moments of this season. The highest, and it's definitely the highest, there's no arguing about it, was beating Liverpool 3-0 at home. What a game. You've probably seen it. You might have even seen it a couple of times on your Sky Plus. But this is one of those occasions where, after a game, I just like to grab the microphone, press record, and just try and capture the excitement and the moment after such an epic, epic win.
Colin! I'm going to be the calm one. Don't be the calm one, Colin. We don't want calm today. Colin, I, we, you said earlier today, and we did the bit before the, we did it, to try and grab some enthusiasm, before some positivity before the game. I'm not lying to Colin. I, I, I left you going, no, we weren't that positive. There was that nagging doubt in the back of my mind that we were going, nah, we're not going to really win this, are we? But Colin, Colin, Colin. We have just beaten Liverpool 3-0. I know we've done that before, but not this team. So I'm wearing the shirts from the first season in the Premier League where we beat Liverpool 3-0. <laughs> so that, that's really why, that's why it happened, I think, because I wore this shirt. No, We didn't just beat them. No. We didn't just beat them. We absolutely battered them. As far as I know, they did not have a single shot on target. I did one. They had one, which was a sort of semi, was a sort of a crossy come shot thing. And it's very hard to know um, what to say, really. It was such an extraordinary performance and one that really wasn't expected. And so many of the players that played in Watford shirts played one of the best games they've ever played. Expected, Colin, there's the, oh, maybe he's been too calm, Colin. This is weird. I don't like it. Maybe you're, you've, you've, uh, you're, you're channeling your, your mic with Jason. Unexpected. Ian Colin, I said. The first game at Anfield, we had our chances. We had chances today and they were taken. Last week at Manchester United, we had our chances. We did not take them. That's, is that just the difference? I don't know. My voice, my voice tells me, <coughs> on cue, my voice tells me that it's unexpected. We, we'll talk about players later and we know there's some changes to the starting lineup. That's a big part of it. We had chances in the first half that, that we didn't take, but we were, as Colin said, we absolutely battered them. We were easily the better team out there. That was the, 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 the result itself, if you, if you didn't know who the teams were and you watched that, you would you'd just walk away thinking, yep, yeah, standard game, team in yellow were better, fully deserved the 3-0 win. And it's only the what's gone before for both us and for Liverpool and the, the league table that says that it, that it is unexpected I think it's one of those performances that we know with the team that we've got we've got in it we've got we've got that performance in us we saw it against Villa and to some extent against Wolves we saw it at Bournemouth and we just happened to come up against Liverpool today who didn't know how to deal with it the changes Colin the Firmina and Zar were the only changes it's literally is it is it those two that that well, made that massive difference. As I said before the before the game, if pushing their fullbacks back is key to stopping them from hurting you, and we didn't do it all the time because they they play the old 1950s <laughs> formation, which is two centre backs, three in midfield, and five forwards. I mean, Alexander Arnold and uh, Robertson are basically wingers, yeah. and Alexander Arnold stands in 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 a right wing position all the time in our half so you have to you have to that is their weakness because if you can get it in behind them you can hurt them and Saar who had a, a reasonable first half I think suddenly got it and he was really the difference obviously he got the two goals two of the goals but that the ability to get in behind them on the break our transitions today were so spectacularly good we let them have the ball they passed it sideways back and forth looking for openings and then when we got it bang it was gone. And there were players on the pitch who were willing to sprint after things that they were only 50% sure they might get on. And Saar was one of those. Decore was another. Uh, and, and on the other side, Delefeo uh, was another. Now, the thing that really impressed me, I want to say this before I forget to say it, the thing that really impressed me about this performance was 35 minutes in, uh, Jerry, get, who's been our best player, frankly, uh, gets a very bad injury and has to go off. And it takes about four or five minutes. Now, the thing that impressed me was that Instead of dropping our level, we lost, losing your momentum and suddenly thinking, oh my God, it's, now it's 38 minutes and we haven't played football for three minutes. And what? They didn't do that. They, they, they came, got right back to the point where they were. Then it was half time and I'm thinking, OK, nil-nil. What do we nil, do nil, That's fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. We've got a, a whole well, half of football without letting a goal into Liverpool. <laughs> I mean, it's been a while, Colin. It has been a while. It's half the job is done. But I thought if they come out and they go, right, we're going to retreat. And they get that kind of collective nervousness. But they didn't do that. They came out and they picked up exactly where they started. And Saar had a fantastic chance within a minute. And, and we set the tone. And I think they were arrogant. I think they played in an arrogant way. It wasn't that they were just terrible today, but they were terrible. I mean, Mane was entirely invisible Salah never really got on the ball Firmino buzzed around looked, looked dangerous but again didn't, didn't get a chance didn't create a chance didn't make a chance it wasn't and 
I think they were a bit arrogant. I think they thought they could turn up, play the football they'd been playing, uh, and 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 win, even if it's just one nil. You can see that I think in we look at uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Oxlade Chamberlain. Uh, during the game, the way they were reacting to certain things, they were getting frustrated, getting a little bit stroppy, and that came across. I also think they didn't consider Saar almost in their game plan. They've changed, they've taken Gomez out, brought Lovren in, and it's almost like they're worried about Dini. They're worried about Troy. They're just going to put the option. Van Dyke's very good in the air. They got Lovren in there as well, just to just to try and be a bit solid, bully him a bit. You know, don't let him bully them. And that left, yeah, so Saar, obviously, for the, uh, for the goals where he sort of drifted, drifted inside, sort of running through the middle, they can't catch him. They haven't got the pace to deal with him. And it was a real surprise to them. And, and yeah, that's obviously cost them. Back to the Lovren thing, very interesting. He, he, Van Dyke couldn't get anywhere near Deeney. Deeney was sat on Lovren, and Lovren had a very, very difficult afternoon. Club podcasts frequently offer a a more expert view on the prospects and the fortunes of a side by supporters for supporters. And with many hundreds of thousands of downloads a week, it's a medium that's now many supporters go to destination for the real lowdown on their club. To present the award for Club Podcast of the Year, welcome on stage with me, BBC Football's Conor McNamara. Here we go, here we go. Thank you very much. Um, I'm a big fan of club podcasts. Uh, when I'm travelling to a game, I always try to listen to the podcast of that team. I nick all their best lines. So a big, big. <laughs> the nominees for club podcasts of the year are the 77 Club, Blue Moon, Charlton Live, from the Blue. <laughs> No, nay, never. And the winner is. Ooh, it's one of the good ones. From the Rookery. Yes, us winning Club Podcast of the Year at the Football Supporters Federation just over a year ago. We've had some fantastic times, and that was one of the best ones. Someone else saying we're doing all right, and Connor McMurray said we're one of the good ones, which is good enough for us. Thank you very much, Connor. We've had some special moments, but also we've had some special moments as a team. Mike's dad, unfortunately, was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2018. He had to undergo some treatment, but we decided, as a team, we wanted to walk to Wembley for prostate cancer. We started off very early at St Albans City Football Club. We walked to Watford, we walked our way to Barnet, and we ended up, after 26 miles, we were at Wembley. And this moment is a very special moment for us as a podcast, as a group of friends, as a group of Watford fans when we were on the last leg, heading to Wembley. Right, here we are, 26 miles, about 0.2 to go. Wembley's ahead of us uh, with a great big finish sign, and it's, it's looking good. Last six miles, though, we've been uh, joined uh, by Mike's dad, Tony. How are you going? I'm doing very well, thank you, John. <laughs> Have you come to the end of your treatment now? Yeah, apart from still having hormone treatment, but finished the radiotherapy a few weeks ago. Everything going well. Uh, you were sort of the inspiration or the reason we're doing this, so thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it was my fault that you all got blisters and whatever, but uh, I'm immensely proud of uh, the kids, the family, uh, the friends, football as well, some really super generous people who have uh, pledged money on, uh, on the uh, Just Giving site. Uh, a really good advert for football and for family and friendship. Uh, so we're, we're about to head up uh, the ramp up to where uh, Bobby Moore's statue is uh, and to go into Wembley uh, to get a medal, which is a, a nice finish for the 26 miles that we've done from St Albans to Watford to Barnet and now here to Wembley. Mike, how's it, uh, how's it been for you, old chap? Oh, terrific. 
really, really good. Really. You're saying that in a way that, like, after 26 miles, you can't say, oh, God, I'm killing myself. You no, have to say terrific. No, it absolutely was terrific. It was great fun, really well-organised event. Great to do something worthwhile for charity. We've raised some money. We want to keep raising more. Um, finishing up at Wembley, one of the most iconic sporting landmarks on the planet. So, yeah, it's been great and uh, been lovely to walk with Dad for the last uh, last six miles or so. It's been really good. And, of course, uh, uh, my podcast, Extended Family, you guys and my brother and sister. And we have to say um, that the support that we've had from uh, uh, all the, everyone that listens and the sponsorship we've had has been absolutely amazing. So a, a huge thanks to, uh, to everyone that listens that's uh, dipped into the pocket. It's been great for the charity, but also from a personal point of view. I know it's given um, Dad a massive boost and it's, uh, it's meant a lot to us personally. So uh, thank you very much. On to the finish. Let's do this. Marching their way to Wembley in aid of prostate cancer, this is From the Rookery End. Hi, I'm Joel Ekstrand. Hi, I'm Ketchy Anya. Hi, this is Troy Daney. Hi, this is Chris Willemo. This is Britta Sommelonga. Hola, soy Manuel Almuniat. I'm Nathaniel Chalabar. Ciao, sono Gianfranco Zola. You're listening from the Rookery End. Interviews. We've done a few. In fact, we've we've done a fair, 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 fair few. We have been so lucky on doing From the Rookery End to speak to the current team members. We've got to speak to the, 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 the heroes of ours over the last... Well, a long time we've been Watford fans. Let's let's not talk about that. And I've got a, a few of those interviews that we've done recently. Maybe not the ones you think of. Maybe not with the people you think. You've probably heard a few of them this week. We've had some fantastic interviews so far with Nick Cox, the former Academy boss, with Barry from Watford. And also yesterday you would have heard Danny Graham. Tomorrow, Friday, of our week-long set of podcasts for our testimonial week, you get to hear a very, very special interview that we did with Troy Deeney, at his house while he was having a barbecue. It is fantastic, as it always, hearing from Troy. And our Dinner with Dini podcast we did five years ago is really worth going back and having a listen to find out a little bit more about where he was at that point. Where he is now, you'll find out tomorrow. But let's have a listen to some of our favourite interview moments. The first one isn't particularly a good interview. It was a slightly drunk interview that Mike did when we went away to watch Watford lose at Cardiff City. We did speak to one of the Watford players, Andros Townsend, remember him, but we also tried to speak to a certain Welsh boxer. Here's Mike with what happened. We also had a chat with, well, I say we had a chat, I tried to have a chat with Cardiff, probably their, probably their most high-profile player, Craig Bellamy. I thought I'd try and get his thoughts on, mm. on, on, on Watford, basically. Mm. I thought it'd be interesting for fellow Watford fans to hear what it's like to play against Watford who better to tell us than Craig Bellamy and what did he say to you Mike? he told me two words is all it took he said do one <laughs> so there we were trying to get a word from Craig Bellamy and he told Mike to do one who turns up behind him none other than one of the best boxers of all time Joe Calzaghi and Mike asked him well this is what Mike asked him Joe what do you think of Watford today any good? Right, wouldn't he? All right. That counts as an interview. That counts. Yeah, totally. We met a few of the players and had fantastic chats with them. Some of them were on their football media train sort of thing. But one player who we enjoyed interviewing on the two occasions we got to meet him was Martin Taylor. I know he's not glamorous. I know he didn't score a thousand goals for Watford like Danny Graham, but he got it. And he was always fun and always a good laugh. In fact, he could answer Mike's Donnie Darko question. It was particularly tough. No one else could ever answer it. In fact, we never asked anybody else because we knew they couldn't answer it. But old Martin could answer it. And obviously, you've got, there's a new centre-back coming in in Fitz. Yeah. Um, so that's you, Fitz and Nyron, three fairly uh, sizable units. But who who's top dog out of you three, would you say? Who's like the toughest out of you three? Oh, the toughest? big guys and you all look... I don't know. I mean, Nooksy looks intimidating, but I think he'd probably... I think if, if I came at him, I think he'd be a bit worried. <laughs> um, I haven't seen enough of Fitz yet to, to work it out, but I'm sure I'll have a grapple in the gym at some point. Oh, I'll tell you, <laughs> stick you at number one for the rest. <laughs> That's good. And Martin, we've had the we've had the pleasure of interviewing you before, and you're, you're one of the more cerebral cerebral of Watford players. So it's been something that's been bugging me. Have you got any idea what Donnie Darko is about? Yeah, I love Donnie Darko. <laughs> Can you explain to us, as a clever clever chap, what the heck is going on in that film? It's obviously the I don't know. It's um, to do with time travel, isn't it? In, this, in, in, in the American kind of perception of time travel and their lack of their belief in Genesis as opposed to evolution and things like that. 
I knew we'd get a good answer. But apart from that, it's just very strange. Yeah, yeah. We're some very good courts in it, but... Um, and yeah. There haven't been very many good sport movies made, I don't really yeah. think. If you were to feature, if there was going to be a movie of your life, who would, who would play you? Who would play me? Um, somebody once said I look like Woody Harrelson, so... That would probably be the, the best person. He's a few years older than us, but... He hasn't yeah. aged very well either, has he? <laughs> he hasn't. Do you know what it is? And I'm telling you, was a little bit of a slight when someone said that. <laughs> I'm trying to think, back in Cheers days, but... Yeah. Oh, you think, oh, he must be fairly old, because he was in Cheers in the Yeah, great so He's a good bit older than me. He's probably yeah, must be he's getting on 50, 60 now. Yeah. Right? Um, the training, football training room is always known to have music. Yeah. And you're getting a bit, you know, we're, we're a similar age. Yeah. Um, my music tastes quite, yeah. quite significantly. And when it comes to kids' music, I just, just I can't yeah. bear with it. Do you find yeah. something similar in Massively, changing Yeah, room? yeah. I don't get it. I'll sit there and I'll not use it. Although used is actually quite, in, he's all like garage and stuff like that. So he, he knows what it's on about. I really don't get it. And I'll openly admit it. And I'll say, right, I don't even get Radio 1 anymore. I've just turned off at Radio 2, but it's a time of your life and you can't help it. Do you have an all-time favourite album? Yeah, the, my all-time favourite album is probably um, uh, Dove's last broadcast. Oh, very yeah. nice. So I think that's me probably all-time. I just absolutely kidding that I can't. And I absolutely love their Milo Zylo as well, which okay. I've just yeah, listened yeah. non-stop for six months now. And it's it's this really is a good. double exclusive. We, we found out what Donnie Darko is about, <laughs> and we found a footballer who doesn't like Drake. <laughs> I, I, I really don't like Drake. I, I just don't get that. It was that simple. That's what Donnie Darko is all about. The most in awe moment I think we ever had was when we interviewed Jan Franco Zola. And this next clip really does sum up how awesome and iconic the man is. You wait till you hear the five side team he picks. But it was fantastic to meet and interview Jan Franco Zola right at the start of his time as Watford manager. You, you obviously had a hugely illustrious career, played under some, some big managers. Is there a particular manager that stands out that you sort of base your style on now, or did you learn anything particular well, from any of your managers? The, the one, the style of play that obviously I'm trying to play. I mean, for me, it's been an inspirational manager, Guardiola, because the way he played his Barcelona team is fantastic, and uh, and um, so I like uh, his style of play. Whether you can replicate that, I don't know, because obviously you have a. Players of that uh, statue, but uh, but the idea of football is is very good. You've played against big teams. Um, if you could pick a five-a-side team, the best five-a-side team you either played with or against. Well, I would play Maradona, Careca for sure. I would pick Maldini. I would pick uh, Bare- uh, I'll pick Maldini, Baresi, and I'll probably play midfield. I would play probably. Oh, there, there's a big question. Maybe Zidane. Oh, okay. It's <laughs> not a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A cheeky one. Good manager, then. Not defenders, so only one. No, two defenders. <laughs> goalkeeper? Uh, goalkeeper Buffon. That's a pretty decent That's team. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll make a team and <laughs> On a personal level, my favourite interview was to go and visit Anne Swanson at her home and talk to her about the Junior Hornets. It was such a big part of me becoming a Watford fan. And I know it was a very special interview for many of you because of all the amazing feedback that we got. Hearing Anne tell stories of not that long ago was brilliant. Here's all about her, a trip to Birmingham and one Ian Bolton. And one day we were walking up... Occupation. Yeah. And Ian Bolton was in front of us and the kids said, Mummy, there's Ian Bolton. Go and talk to him. I'm not going to talk to him anyway. Ian turned round, and Ian and I have been friends ever since. Yeah. He came to stay with me for one night and stayed for four months. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Why is that? Why did he to stay? Well, his marriage broke up and he had nowhere to go. So I said, "Well, overnight, come to me. You're welcome." Four months later. He moved out. <laughs> well, it was wonderful. He's just like a son to me now. You were in a very male-dominated World. industry. How was it working like that? Did you have pr- lots and lots of problems? No, none. No, because uh, <laughs> sounds big-headed, but I was respected. Oh, she started the family enclosures, you know, and the people at the various clubs copied us, so they all were respectful. Mm. Oh, no, I didn't have any... No, I can't ever remember having any trouble at <laughs> any grounds. We went to... Was it not Birmingham? One ground, the coach took us where they dropped us off. I said, no, 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 no. 
you can't leave us here. I'm not walking up the road with all these kids. Go back and drop us at the ground. Well, it wasn't heard of. And Mr Harrowell came just after that and said, how did you manage to get the children dropped off at the ground? I said, because I wasn't going to walk with them. Well done. I suppose that was the police in me, wasn't it? I wasn't going to walk through the streets with my kids and anything happened to them. No, there's no messing with you, was there? No. Black was black and white was white. (laughs) But I bent the rules for my kids, you know, for the junior Hornets and for my players. Did lots of players come round or was it... Oh, yeah. Because you said that, that mothering... Oh, I used You were the mother of the club. In, yeah, in, in, in lots of ways. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, I can remember John Barnes coming round for dinner and telling Howard off because he didn't eat it all. Your mother's cooked that now. You sit there until you've eaten it. <laughs> Pat Rice, Bean, Les Taylor, Steve Sherwood. Oh, a few of them used to come round. And you saw a lot of, lot of the, well, what the boys turn into... To, to men, yes. Yeah, Nigel and Gary, Gary. Carter, you know, what was it like sort of seeing them change? Um, Barry Ashby and all yeah. that. Like, well, Jane, Jane went out with Barry Ashby for a long time, eighteen months or so. Um, I used to go to all their games. Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> I can remember saying to GT one day, "When are you going to put Steve Sherwood in goal? Give him a chance." And <laughs> do you want to put the team sheet out? No, I'm just asking when he's going to be given a chance. And we went down to Aldershot for an evening game. I'd been invited to go and see their family room. They'd just opened it. And I was in the box with Elton and GT and all of them. And Taylor came in and said, I want, I want to introduce you to somebody. So I went, chairman of Aldershot. Everybody thinks I run the club, but I don't. It's her. <laughs> And that's the sort of thing he'd do to me. Yeah. I, I wasn't frightened of him, but I was very, very respectful. I was going to say. Cried my eyes out the night he left. We went up and had a few drinks upstairs. Oh, I was heartbroken. This is Britta Somalonga doing the conga on from the rookery end. So therapy, celebrations and friendship have been the biggest part of from the rookery end, but also having a lot of fun and laughing a lot. And this moment now, where we were chatting about Will Buckley, Jason, Mike, and I just completely lost it, completely. Because he has been one; of, he's been one of our shining lights. And mm. if we're going to come out of this slump, which we will, it's going to be people like Buckley who'll do it. So he needs to needs to keep his eyes on the um, on the on the straight and narrow. I'm sure Malky won't let him get away with anything. Because let's remember, earlier on in the season, he was he was pulling him off. Yeah. With an hour gone, <laughs> Jason. <laughs> <laughs> We, we, do, we do that. Oh no! Can't but say that. We have to remember <coughs> pulling it. <laughs> Sorry, I just got that. John. <laughs> welcome, welcome aboard. John bless innocent John. <laughs> I did it. Primary school teacher. Innocent, yeah. positive John. We have we have to remember earlier on in the season, Will Buckley was being. <laughs> <laughs> We have to remember. I don't he think, substituted. <laughs> I don't think that Malky's going to let him get away with it because no. earlier on in the season he was being withdrawn <laughs> <laughs> after an hour. McCoy didn't think he was fit, so. <laughs> get it. As I said, this is the best of. You might have heard the beginning of a bad Will Buckley song. We used to sing songs for the players. We stopped doing that because they were terrible. The next bit is is what has been great about Colin being part of the team. You know, Jason, Mike and I have been doing From the Recreation for 10 years. We've had many people be co-hosts on a, on a few occasions. But the main team we've had is, is Geordie, Kieran, Hollywood, DCW and Colin, who came on board and, and, and often can do a whole podcast on his own, especially on an away day. This was done on a away day to Southampton last year, where he shares probably one of the loveliest stories we've ever heard about an away day and his daughter the lovely Florence again something we got a massive massive reaction to and that's why we're putting it in 
our best moments from the rookie end. So finally on the train, uh, going back to London, nice and warm on the train, so that's good. Just wanted to finish off with a, with a few thoughts. I wanted to uh, just tell you my one of my favourite away day stories from recent times. Um, when we got promoted on the, the day we beat Brighton, which was on my birthday actually, I remember Florence in the car as we were driving back up and it was confirmed that we'd been promoted to the Premier League. She said, oh my God, Dad, we're going to play Liverpool. I said, yeah, yeah, we're going to play Liverpool. And said, we're going to play Man United. And we're going to be on match of the day. And I said, yeah, we're going to play all those teams. She goes, can we go to every game? And I said, of course we can go to every game. We'll have season tickets. She said, no, no, I mean, can we go to every game? And in a mad moment of uh, sort of parenthood, I said, yes, of course we can. We can go home and away to every game. So we did our best. In fact, we didn't make it. She got to 36 out of 38 games. I think I got to 34. And uh, her mother and my brother-in-law helped her to the other two. But the away day that I remember most from that season was the Monday game at Swansea. Monday at eight, Swansea at eight o'clock in the evening, and I had to go through some mad rigmarole where I drove my car to Greenhill Crescent and parked it, and then got the train back into London, went to the school, picked her up, went to Paddington, got the train to Swansea, got there about twenty past seven, got in a cab, got to the ground, watched the game, got beat one nil in a rather grim performance from the Orns. Not long after we just won four games in a row, including beating Liverpool. The worst thing of all was that she wasn't very well. When I got her from school, she looked ashen grey. And I said, look, you're not looking well. Should we just not go? No, no, Dad, we've got to go to every game. We're going to this game. So by the time we got to the ground, she's sitting there with her coat done up. And she looks like she's going to throw up. She's sort of gone completely white. And we, we stood with my friend Phil. And he said, she's not looking at all well. I said, no. And, and, it, and the performance was awful. We get beat. And I'm thinking, what on earth am I doing here? What on earth am I doing in Swansea at 10 o'clock at night on a Monday? She's got to go to school tomorrow. Uh, we're miles away from, from home. So this is the moment. So the game finishes and Deanie comes over to the fans and a couple of the fans down the bottom are, are giving them quite a lot of grief and he's having a bit of a go with them. And anyway, it finishes off and he steps back and he takes off his boot and it's in his right hand and I can see from where I'm standing that if he throws it with his right hand, I'm probably going to catch it. And he throws it and it comes straight towards me. I scrabble down a couple of rows. The boot hits the chair in front of me. An enormous guy comes sort of hoving into view on my left. I manage to get the boot. I turn around, I hand it to Florence. She sticks it under her coat. Anyway, we've got his boot. We've got Deanie's boot. Deanie the King, as she calls him. So we get on the coach. It's two and a half hours, three hours on the coach, back to Greenhill Crescent. We get in the car. It's one o'clock in the morning, and she throws up in the car. Dad, she says, I feel so ill. I feel so ill. There's puke everywhere. I'm thinking, oh, my God. So we drive home. She gets in the shower, put her to bed. I say to her, you've got to go to school tomorrow. Your mum will never forgive you if you go to this game and don't go to school. I'll go to school, I'll go to school. So in the morning, she gets up, she goes to school. She comes back after school, and I'm there. And I go up to her room, and she's got into bed. And she's obviously feeling terrible. And I said, I said, darling, you know, we went all the way to Swansea on the train. We lost, you know. We got Deanie's boot, but you were ill in the car and we got the coach and it was just, it was just an awful sort of 12 hours. I said, Is it, was it really worth it, Florence? And she looked at me from behind the covers of her bed with her grey face, with Deanie's boot sitting on her bedside table, and she said, oh yes, Dad, it was definitely worth it. And for me, that's what going away is all about. So if you've never been to an away game and you've listened to this, and one Saturday you think, you know what, why not? get on the train, go to Huddersfield, go to Brighton, go to any game away from home. You'll have a wonderful time with your friends. You can support your team. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you for listening. So that's almost it for our best of podcast. Almost an hour of some great moments that we really enjoyed creating as part of making from the rookery end. We can't thank you enough uh, for, for listening and hopefully you will listen tomorrow when we chat to Troy Deeney about how he changed from a championship player to a Premier League player. That's coming up tomorrow. But there's, of course, one person we haven't mentioned so far who is, well, pretty much always around. Arlo, Mike's son. A few seasons ago, we started asking Arlo his opinion. He is a young fella, about eight years old now, but he has a certain honesty that comes with youth. But this was probably his most prolific answer when talking about the semi-final we were going to be playing against Wolves at Wembley. We hope you enjoyed the last 10 years of this podcast, that you've enjoyed some of the moments we've picked out for this episode, and you'll listen tomorrow to our Troy Deeney interview. But the last word is with Arlo. Mike's surname is Parkin. He has a son called Arlo, and this is our feature 
Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson, Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Great. Great? Why are you great? Because Watford are through to the semi-finals, I meant. Amazing, isn't it? Can you can you sum up how, how you felt today watching that quarter-final win? It felt weird because when Motswaii scored the goal, I was like, Come on, Watford! Yeah, it's a bit frustrating. We saw Horelio crying at the end there. Do you think this will be Gomez's last game for Watford? No, because we have to play with him at Wembley. In the seven. Yeah. Now, we're not going to be at Wembley. We're going to be... Where are we going to be? New York. In New York, so we'll have to watch it on TV. So a bit of advice for, that you'd give to Watford fans going to Wembley. What one thing do they think you should think they should take to Wembley with them? Hope. What a wonderful answer. Arlo, thank you very much for joining us. Bye. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end.